you know, I guess a lot of those voices that were really prominent um, in the hard lockdown have suddenly disappeared. And I know we've all got businesses to run, but at the same time, the hospitality industry isn't out of the weeds completely. <laughs> we've got a lot of work to do. And, uh, you know, I, th I think I'd be interested in, in seeing, you know, who's going to, who's going to jump up and, and start flying the flag again. This week on Dirty Linen, we are talking about representation in the hospitality industry. Who are the people that bring the industry together, work out what needs to work out the conversations that need to be had and, and who to have them with? Someone who's really made a place for himself in this space is Michael Bachetta. He owns multiple venues in Melbourne and he is a founder of Worksmith, a hospitality hub that has certainly been a very active player through the pandemic. Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks, Danny. Thanks for having me. Oh my goodness. If I think about the times we've caught up during the year, I haven't spoken to you for months, but I think the last time we spoke, it was just like, we're just in the throes of it, right? Like it's been um, such a year of yeah. chaos. Yeah, <laughs> just so much. And Worksmith has been so active as a source of information of um forum online forums you know such a i guess a safe space online where people have been able to ask questions throw ideas around and just sort of navigate mm. these extremely choppy waters um but of course you've been running venues and you know you're an employer through this can you just give us a little i suppose an outline of your busy life and the different hats that you wear yeah, a uh, bit of a difficult one. I never thought that something could uh, simultaneously affect all the businesses at exactly the same time, <laughs> but in differing ways. Um, and across the three venues and Worksmith, it's been a huge, huge challenge, you know, A, to move the business really quickly to ensure survival, but then also, uh, you know, really front of mind throughout the whole time was how we can look after the teams um, through throughout COVID. And that was definitely the, the hardest uh, bit that we've, we've gone through and going through is uh, ensuring that the teams are happy and, uh, and safe all the way through this thing. Um, number of the venues with Falco and, and Capitano, we haven't closed one day this year. Um, and Liberty has kind of been up and down depending on, on what sort of project we were leading with at the time. So there's a lot to manage and a lot of people to, um, to help but we're really lucky that we've got really strong leadership in each venue that really took it upon themselves a lot of the time to, uh, you know, really execute the projects we're working on and, and lead the teams there. I mean, you're you're a really interesting restaurateur in that the businesses are so different. I mean, so Falco, it's a bakery, and that's the that's the newest of your businesses, isn't it? Um, so that's in Collingwood, and I guess you know that people were always wanting bread and it was one of the things we were allowed to go out for. <laughs> so um, in a sense, it's reasonably well-placed. And Capitano, with I guess Italian, but with pizza, like that's probably reasonably well-placed for, for takeaway. Exactly, yeah. yeah. We're really lucky. We opened Falco exactly a year ago now. So we sort of had our roots down on Smith Street for a few months before COVID hit and enough people knew about us and a lot of venues around us obviously closed at the, the first lockdown and um, things really took off for us at Falco uh, and we were able to because as you're saying the other venues are so different uh, we still offered takeaway pizza at Capitano and, and added more products to, to that line um, and what we do is basically shuffle people around the venues um, mostly to, to Falco as there was a huge spike 
and really lucky that we had that outlet to, to be able to um, to sell retail. And we did a little wine store, a store out of there, which went really well with the Bar Liberty team. Uh, and now we continue to sell wines out of there, um, just a small on a smaller scale. Um, yeah, so I've never loved that we've got three venues. Like I love all my venues, obviously, but I've never loved that they're all so different. But then during COVID, it's been saving grace because we're able to sort of leverage off each one as needed um, as things changed. Yeah, well, I suppose people always say in business, you know, not to have all your eggs in one basket and to be diverse. And I guess you did that. You didn't know why you were so smart in doing that, but indeed, indeed, you were. And so, just just to just to round it out for people who don't who don't know the other business, so Bar Liberty is um, it's like a really a really beautiful bar with I guess small plate small plates of food. Um, yeah, just it doesn't really lend itself to a, an out of restaurant experience. Um, so yes, it's great that you're able to move staff around, but of course, Worksmith, which is the hospitality hub that you founded, that's also a business, isn't it? I mean, you've got two premises, you had, it was a co-working space, you had events there. So, I mean, tell me about, let's talk about what Worksmith does for the community in a minute, but first of all, just talk about how it's been running that as a business through 2020. Yeah, Worksmith sits at the exact junction of hospitality and office. <laughs> so the two worst impact, impacted areas during COVID. Um, so we, we shut our spaces straight away um, through the first lockdown and all of our re- revenue was gone straight away um, because of that, because we, we, we rely on, on membership fees to use the spaces um, permanently or casually. Um, so turning that off meant that we had to switch really quickly to other sources of revenue. Um, so doing a number of uh, advisory projects through Worksmith, which we've, we've done for a long time. But then also um, we turned our attention straight away to uh, obviously assisting the industry as best we could. And it was two days before lockdown, we started a really simple Facebook group. We thought a few hundred people would be on there um, just based around providing a spot that people could go to, as you said, ask questions and sort of in a, in a safe space and within a week there was 10,000 members on that Facebook page and we obviously we already knew that the the industry is very fragmented and you know obviously we're talking about representation today but uh, we really found through COVID or have found uh, that there's no one source of information uh, for the industry and we've done a whole suite of sort of website updates to uh, really capture a lot of industry-based content, resources and tools uh, that we continue to sort of pump out through Worksmith and ensure that we're supporting people across uh, venues um, and also food and wine producers and you know, the like that all sort of intersect with hospitality. Mm. So give us an example of the kind of resources that you are offering. Yeah, so uh, during COVID we built something. It's quite simple but it's online. A lot of people have used it. It's a, a venue feasibility calculator and it's based off the restrictions, so square metre um, restrictions. And off the back of that, understanding how many, you know, A, how many people you can have in your spaces, number one, obviously from a COVID um, restriction standpoint, but then also it builds a, a point, a, a P&L based off the back of that and it includes job keeper payments as well. So then you can really look at it and understand can I open my my venue um, in you know four, the four square meter rule when it was in now two square meter doesn't actually make sense and stack up that that I, I can um, break even or or somewhat profit through this period and 
the day we launched that for the first week, we had 400 entries into that with people um, using the tool, which is really exciting. So we're really starting to develop that, that tool out further. Yeah, that is really amazing. I mean, I guess when you started Worksmith, could you have imagined that those were the kinds of things that you were going to be helping people with? Definitely not. We, yeah, we started our, our first space in Collingwood and the idea was just to have a meeting space for people in the industry that could physically work out of, come to events, uh, do some training and, and, and that sort of thing. And it really quickly moved into a sort of larger sphere of support for the industry. Uh, we run Melbourne Cocktail Festival as well. So this is a consumer-facing uh, event with some industry parts to it as well, which is all about uh, sort of empowering people in, in bars and sort of cocktail culture and brands in Australia. Um, and we've really found ourselves in this position where we want to support industry from a number of different ways. And as you know, COVID has obviously been really difficult and financially uh, really distressing, but it's actually given us uh, a little bit of time as well to sort of stop as our spaces weren't in operation and then really understand what we're doing. So did did you start Worksmith because you felt that there was, there was a lack of that kind of gathering place, whether it was real or virtual? And, and as far as like the resources that you developed did you feel like that wasn't being offered from let's say restaurant catering or some of the you know other industry organizations Australian Hotels Association is it was do you feel like those organizations that have been around whether it's that they've been around for longer or that they're doing other things like you know where did you sort of perceive the need and the gap well I think uh, to answer the first part of that question is that you know people when you're trying to build a venue or start start a, a product or anything that's around hospitality there's no spot to go and work out of other than a cafe or just a general co-working space um, and my co-founder Roscoe had, had spent a lot of time in co-working around the world and found that the best ones that were the most engaging were the ones that were really focused in a certain area that's when you could really focus on um, specific events and topics that were um, really important in that uh, particular industry um, and then also have a lot of people intersecting and uh, learning from each other as well as collaborating. And it's really easy to sort of say that, oh, you know, you just open a space and people will collaborate. It takes a long time for those things to happen. And we've had members come through that spend a couple of weeks here and then after their feedback when they leave, no longer a member is that, oh, you know, I didn't really meet anyone yet. And it's like, well, you need to put in a lot <laughs> to, to, to get, get something out. We've seen some... Um, across this time, a lot of people start working together, creating products together, uh, doing events together and the like. And I think there was, there's never been a space for that uh, to happen. Um, and when I was you know, starting in hospitality in Melbourne, like I you know, loved where I worked and, and learned a hell of a lot in all the, the restaurants I worked in, but I never felt that I was part of something bigger than the four walls that I was in. And although the restaurants I worked in here and, and uh, in London as well, uh, were incredible you 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 know the classic sort of hospital thing you just you work long hours and, and you work really hard and you learn a lot but then you're sort of wrecked on the weekend and then there's no connection with the greater industry uh it wasn't until i opened my first venue in bar liberty that i started meeting a lot more people in the industry and i thought that was brilliant and then started started something with a few friends called grow assembly um, we we're doing that for a while and that was just a a, a day event uh, of talks for the industry and sort of worksmith blossomed off the back of grow assembly and seeing what can happen when people can gather and that was just on one day 
And my thinking was, well, what if we had this as a, a physical space ongoing? Um, and we've seen after close to three years of operation that uh, what's come off the back of Worksmith existing is really exciting with the number of businesses that work uh, in and around our spaces, um, the partnerships we've formed, and then also the businesses that have been born within the Worksmith company as well. Uh, and I think, you know, to your second question around, um, you know, resources and, and what we've built, I, I've never really found it very easily accessible um, from an industry standpoint for the industry association. Straight away, you have to be a member to to find anything um, that's uh, around the resources. Uh, they have some things that are free, but really surface level, then you have to pay up. Um, obviously, you know, we need to make money as well. We're, we're a private company. Um, and, and the important thing for us, though, is that we are providing upfront value. And through COVID, we've just provided literally everything we've built or written or any ma- we've written a lot of manuals as well about communication and operations and COVID safe and everything else. And that's all been completely free to anyone that jumps online. And we felt through this time that it was important to do that um, as the industry is you know, really on its knees and shouldn't have to stump up money to be able to access that information. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, it's, an amazing amount of work. I mean, it's basically a pandemic encyclopedia that people can access and that's the sort of resources that are there all the time. But then you've also done a lot of forums. Can you talk about some of the, the top the topics that you've covered in those forums? Yeah, absolutely. We've done over 40 events uh, since COVID sort of hit and we've done everything, uh, spoken about everything from you know, job keeper updates or representation in the industry as you know, we're chatting about today as well as uh, mental health in the industry like right a huge huge spectrum um, you know, visa worker support um, yeah really really across the board and we're really focused just on you know what was coming up you know job keeper when job keep got released ensuring that we're covering that uh, how to sub- how to submit your um, your information who's eligible who's not um, and really ensuring that we were, we were jumping on those things as, the, as they came up. I mean, with your different hats, you know, as a business owner, but also with this Worksmith um, hat on as well, how did you find that sort of juggling that onslaught of information and, and the overwhelm that sometimes comes with that, but then also being this person, you know, that's part of an organisation that's trying to sift it and organise it? Was it, um, yeah, was, how was that? It was, it was super difficult, number one, but then also obviously helpful to my businesses that I was already undertaking more detailed sort of, I guess, research and uh, understanding of uh, different rules, regulations and information that was coming out. Uh, so I was able to feed that back really quickly. But then at the same time, you know, every Sunday when the, <laughs> the inevitable announcement was being made, it was uh, obviously a lot of note-taking and then straight away fielding calls from different people, whether uh in my businesses or uh, outside of, of, you know, tomorrow, a lot of the time it was the next day <laughs> of that it was ha- something was happening. So having to uh, shift people around, change rosters, you know, change change what we do in venue, but then also make sure that on the worksmith side we're getting that information out as well. I mean, it was so hard to, because you'd get those announcements 
from Dan Andrews here in Victoria on a on a Sunday, but a lot of the detail wouldn't follow until you know during it sort of drip feed through the week. You know how those sort of broad brush announcements were actually to be applied. So I'm sure that was a, a tricky thing for you to manage in terms of you know you're such a resource for information, but you just didn't have or you know you couldn't have all the information at your fingertips. You know the minute that it was released. So um, yeah quite frustrating I was sort of in in the middle of some of those conversations as well and you just think well you know don't just tell us half of the stuff we need can we just have have all the detail um yeah and that's definitely the a bit of a, a frustration all the way through as, as you say it's like you you have to change your plans you know 24 hours out uh some of the time or even a week which is sounds like a lot but it's not um and then to you know have an understanding of something and and then it completely changes once the detail comes out uh it was certainly frustrating for the whole whole industry yeah and when you've got customers that think that you know oh now you can have 20 people or now i can have you know 20 at the table yeah exactly why can't i sit down <laughs> yeah yeah things like that yeah do you think that it's been a, a time of coming together or a time of fragmentation for the hospitality industry overall uh i think both in a way uh, I think a lot of people uh, really jumped to it and sort about sort out uh, helping people, which is amazing. And I really love the industry. Uh, I love the industry so much. That's why I'm in it. That's why we do WorkSmith. Um, but then at the same time, I think a lot of people were given a lot of airtime, I guess, <laughs> as a sort of mouthpiece for the industry. And some people were aligned with that. Some people weren't. And I felt that there's a lot of people in the industry that didn't align with a lot of the I guess rhetoric that was coming out of those those people uh, and then sort of talk about sort of broad brush sort of ideas that a lot of people then thought well that's how the whole hospitality industry thinks um, and I found that really difficult and I, I guess continue to and a lot of the time the people that were sort of standing up and um, sort of quasi flying the flag you know they had a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of revenue and, and their own money at stake, um, which, you know, at the end of the day, we all build businesses, they're for profit, we need to make a profit to, to live and, and pay our staff and, and all the rest. But it was, I found it really difficult that, you know, people were not, uh, we're not in, in medicine, right? <laughs> and people making wild claims about um, hospitality and, and why it's safe and all these sort of things without actually looking at the facts <laughs> um, and now we find ourselves uh, with you know how many days now without community transmission because we went through the heartache and it was incredibly difficult. Yeah I agree with you Michael and I think it was it, it was interesting that you know I guess it's I suppose it's obvious you know the loudest voices are going to be the ones that get heard but it certainly did seem that um, that I guess, you know, the Unlock Hospitality Brigade was um, speaking as though for the whole industry and it, it's, I suppose, you know, the, the reason I wanted to do this week of talking about representation was as much as anything else, it was to make it clear that nobody can speak for the whole industry as much as there are, you know, gr great voices and different voices and, you um people that do gather the opinions of others, I suppose, around them or, you know, they're, they're a funnel for those views. But it is such a disparate industry and that's one of the things that makes it fantastic. You know, it's the diversity that we celebrate um, and the idea that, 
anybody can speak for the whole industry, not only in what's wanted, but also in what's possible in terms of operating in a COVID safe manner. I just found that quite scary, um, actually, from a from a health perspective, and and I guess disappointing as a member of a community that it, it felt like we, yeah, we, we, it was just going to be better for everyone if we were as much as possible on the same page and working to a common goal. And it, it, it wouldn't be a bad thing to just have a slight tiny bit of um, contrition, like a bit of actually it's pretty good to be, you know, really open now. And it's really great to have, you know, be heading towards 50 days of no community transmission. And we are like bloody lucky, as you say. Um, but anyway, I guess <laughs> good luck to everyone. Everyone can benefit from um, having uh, virtually eliminated the virus. Um, but yeah, it, it, things did get a bit fragmented along the way. Yeah, I think uh, really looking at it, that's you know, I guess a lot of those voices that were really prominent um, in the hard lockdown have suddenly disappeared. I know we've all got businesses to run, but at the same time, the hospitality industry isn't out of the weeds completely. <laughs> we've got a lot of work to do. There's, um, we need the return of uh, international visa holders uh, and international students where there's a huge gap in, uh, in jobs to fulfil. Uh, I've never found it so difficult to find people uh, in venue and I'm hearing the same thing from absolutely everyone. Um, so there's, there's still a lot to work on and, uh, you know, I, th I think I'd be interested in, in seeing, you know, who's going to who's going to jump up and start flying the flag again. Yeah, well, so would you like to hear a lot more noise about bringing internationals back? Is that is that sort of like the main thing that you think um, is an issue for hospitality? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. What are some of the other big struggles right now? I mean, we've spoken, you know, during the year about internationals and it's been a big focus for both of us. It's just it was so foreseeable that if, um, if these people leave, uh, apart from, you know, the social justice around it, it's... Uh, it's um, going to be an issue for the industry rebuilding and lo and behold, this very predictable um, scenario has eventuated and there's a massive hole in the um, employment pool. So, yeah, that was, that's frustratingly predictable. Um, it seems like a tricky one though. Do you, can you really foresee a situation where even a proportion of those internationals will return? I think anyone with a... A visa other than working holiday should be given rights to come back if they can. Um, a lot of these people, like I know people personally that have been here over five years, paid taxes that, that whole time and then were hung out to dry by the government. I find that really disgusting. Like why do they pay tax if they're not going to be supported in times of need? Um, and the, I guess that's the most frustrating piece is that, as you say, it's completely predictable this was going to happen and our, our federal government couldn't see past their their the right wing facade that they they put up and espoused that that we we're not going to look at the human cost um, of of doing this to people and then also the effect on business. I think if we had a sat back and actually looked at what the effect could be, then maybe we wouldn't be in this position and these people would still be here, especially on top of the accounting shortfall that was <laughs> shown very early in the JobKeeper release that we could have supported every single visa worker. And still been way under the budget that they put forward. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, 
I mean, it's all there is a great economic cost to businesses not being able to reopen as much as they would like to, you know. They've got a few venues they can only open, you know, two of them. They can only open five days a week, not seven, because they simply aren't the staff. I mean, that hampers everybody's economic recovery. So it is it is very frustrating. What are some of the other big issues for hospitality in Australia going into next year, Michael? I think a lot of it is based around employment, whether it's employment shortfall, but also um, the, you know, just obviously before COVID, we had a lot of issues around employment and underpayment, and they, they were never addressed. Um, there's things in the award that still uh, aren't quite right for hospitality. A lot of hospitality owners have no idea how the award actually works and how it relates to them. Um, so there needs to be a lot of education around that uh, as we really start to turn on our, our venue. So I, I really want to uh, have a big focus, would love to have a big, uh, bit more focus around employment in general, um, both for fulfilling the gap, but also how we can do it better going forward. Uh, on top of that, it's going to be really interesting with landlords um, coming out of COVID. Um, some la- landlords gave support, uh, even though, uh, and then, sorry, and then many didn't. Um, I know a number of uh, operators that are still uh, actually having to take people to VCAT um, to to actually get some rent relief. And these are venues that have hardly been open throughout COVID. Um, and to landlords that have, multiple multiple properties um that are stacked stacked on top of each other so uh it'll be interesting what will happen from a government perspective uh in regards to landlords and further rent relief and or um you know working out how that's going to to work going forward i think on the landlord front it's it's super interesting time there's there was already a glut of spaces in melbourne and then certainly sydney as well pre-covid now we've seen this really an overcorrection in the industry and a number of venues closing, is that there's just going to be more spaces. So landlords can't be steadfast in not giving rent relief or giving decent terms to hospitality operators because this is not going to be there's no, there's no one in line <laughs> to fulfil those spaces. Mm. Well, do you think that's a similar scenario for staff where no staff should have to put up with being underpaid at the moment because there is such high demand? Exactly. Any staff member that's being overworked, underpaid and, and the rest um, shouldn't have to stick around. And it's really, I think, through COVID, everyone wanted a lot of security, which I completely understand. And I think staff might still be thinking in that way, but now the t- you know it's really switched. Um, and we're seeing uh, larger venue groups that are offering you know, sign-on bonuses of over $1,000 um, to get, doesn't matter if you're a manager or a waiter or whatever else, you, you'll get a bonus. Uh, incentives from current staff to bring new staff on as well Um, and we're seeing a lot of that sort of happening in the industry at the moment just to try and fulfill those roles. Mm. And from the award point of view what are the things in the award that you think need to be looked at? Uh, I think for for us it's just clarity around um, you know a lot lot is being worked on around the casual front Uh, and I really believe that people need flexibility the ones that need it need it (laughs) Um, but then also how does that work in with business and I think there's a bit of a gap at the moment as to um, securing a casual worker for the long term which I really would want to do in in my venues we don't uh, our venues require a fair amount of training um, and commitment to to our staff to to get them to where they need to be uh, which is certainly a cost of doing business but then uh, for them to turn around and, and leave or give zero notice um, on, you know, a couple of days before uh, they're meant to work, 
is really hard for our small businesses as well. So working out a middle ground where we can actually give uh, casuals more of a permanent part-time job, uh, which we do a, a lot of the time, but then also having that reflect in their pay. So I, I just, I think it needs to be a lot of more engagement with industry and then also how we discuss this and get that information out to all business owners uh, in a really succinct way that's really easy to digest that not only employees uh, employers can can read and obviously implement but then employers uh, sorry employees also know their rights and I think that's the problem a big problem in hospitality as well is not only employers doing the wrong thing um, you know in, in instance in some instances but also employees actually just don't knowing where they stand. Um, and a lot of people running through this industry um, is can be for the short term, which you know we do um, rely on these people. Uh, also, don't really look at it from a standpoint that okay, this is my job. I need to actually know my rights around it. Um, so really ensuring that people educate themselves because so they don't get themselves in a situation where an employer can exploit them. Yeah. And do you feel like Worksmith or you have a seat at the table when any of these things are being discussed in an official way? Uh, we do in some instances through COVID we, we have, um, but anything around legislation, we haven't had a, a seat at the table uh, as of yet. But it's something that, you know, I'm you know, personally in Worksmith as a whole is, is really pushing uh, for as uh, having that seat. The difficulty is because we're not an association um, becomes the the difficult part but we do do represent I guess segments of the industry that are really underrepresented at a government level. Yeah how do you go about being one of those people that can wade into those discussions keep knocking on the door? Yeah keep flying the keep keep knocking on the door and flying the flag and you know we've uh, been involved in a number of those conversations through COVID, as I said, which we're, we're really grateful for, for having that opportunity uh, and, and trying to be a slightly different voice to, to, to the norm. But uh, ongoing, we need to relook at how our associations speak to government because uh, whilst I understand restaurant caterers, AHA, these associations have been around for, for a long time, is that their, their membership base is actually decreasing. Um, I don't know. I think you know that all the venue operators I, I know. I don't know many many that are, are part of um, restaurant caterers or, or the rest. And uh, I certainly think there's a there's a place for the the current associations. Absolutely, I'm not saying they shouldn't exist. Um, but they, there's a lot of work that needs to be done to catch up with what's happening um, uh, in industry in areas that they you know don't really represent either. Um, there's a lot of venue owners that certainly aren't part of these associations, um, but then these associations are speaking to government on behalf of us, and that's the concerning piece for me. Is that um, I'm not a I don't uh, pay my dues. I don't. Uh, I'm not part of uh, these these associations, and uh, really having them then leading up to to government around legislation or whatever else is happening at the time, you know, COVID being a huge one, is that they're then speaking on our behalf, even though, uh, you know, we don't elect them. <laughs> it's a really tricky one because from a government point of view, obviously they're just going to want to go, okay, restaurants, who do we talk to? Oh, these people with restaurant in the title, they must be the people. Um, you can't talk to an industry 
uh, you can't talk to everyone in an industry. Um, but it's, yeah, it's just a, it's a really tricky one because yeah, you, you have a different voice, but you still don't represent everybody. Um, no one can. So I guess it's, it's finding that balance between having different voices, but not just having a cacophony of voices. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Like I certainly, uh, don't think I, I represent a whole industry. Um, by any stretch of the imagination, but I certainly think, uh, you know, cafes, small bars, uh, you know, a big part of our industry are underrepresented at a government at a government level. But then also, restaurant caterers, AHA, then represent segments of the industry um, that, you know, whilst their focus is those areas, um, aren't also aren't speaking on behalf of all those people directly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a tricky one. Um, but I think it's, yeah, I think it would be really great for um, Worksmith and yourself to have, um, to be part of those conversations. So, Michael, it's been really a massive year, a year that none of us could have predicted, but um, we are almost at the end of it. How are you feeling and how are you looking forward to 2021? Um, definitely fatigued, as with a lot of people are. Um, running into December is always stressful anyway in hospitality, but couple that with you know, full reopening of venues and worksmith and the rest. It's it's just a really tiring end of the year. Um, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to 2021 because we hopefully put a lot of this behind us. Um, I've also got another baby coming in January, so something to be actually excited about. Uh, um, congrats! Is, thank you. Um, so really, eye on the prize for for the the the, the new baby. But um, with, with, with the industry, I, you know, I think we're, we're always going to face some, we will face some unique challenges in 2021. I think some um, people have a little bit of, you know, false sense of security right now. You know, JobKeeper's still in. Uh, we're running in December when, you know, all of Melbourne was shut down previous to that. So there's a lot of hungry and thirsty people that need to do a lot of celebrating uh, heading into December. So we're seeing our numbers jump up, which is great. We need that. Um, my fear is January and Feb uh, and, and really onwards in that, you know, we don't have large, large scale events continuing. We don't have any international travel. Um, interested to see how that will look. Obviously, we don't have international travel going the other way with people leaving, uh, although a few might go to New Zealand with the, the new announcement. Um, but apart from that, you know, I'm interested to see the movement of people in and out of our cities and you know, a lot of Melbourne people get out for January, I'm sure. Um, but interesting to see if other people then come in to replace those and, and keep our venues sort of ticking over through through that time. Yeah. Well, I'll be out there eating and drinking. Um, yes, yeah, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, it is so great to see Melbourne come back to life. Obviously, you know, still tricky times ahead of us, but um, certainly rather be here now than where we were in August or September. Um, absolutely we're in a much better position (laughs) yeah yeah uh michael it's been an absolute pleasure to chat to you really um grateful for your perspective and congratulations on everything that you've done and that worksmith has done through the year and yeah i'm so happy that your venues are uh well all of them are open and that people can come in sit down and enjoy what you do thank you so much no worries at all thanks danny cheers This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. 
If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This is a Deep in the Weeds production. It's, yeah, it's a really tricky one because, you know, from a government point of view, I can... Uh...